Hello and welcome to GIST Radio. We are a casual radio station where we broadcast when we have something to say. GIST stands for Getting the Shit Together, and we broadcast important interviews and information for artists and creators of all kinds. For more information on GIST, please log into our website at www.gyst-ink.com, where you will find free resources, software, and publications for artists. You can email us and let us know what you would like to hear about at info at gyst-ink.com. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Kara Tomei, and my show here on Just Radio focuses on artists or taking a hybrid approach to their career. People actualizing their creativity and interests in a proactive way by starting collectives or nonprofit groups who present art and performance to the public. My guest today is Sherston Plenge, the founder of WOE. And WOE, W-O-A-H, is an acronym for We Open Art Houses. Very clever an acronym, I must say. I just recently met Sherston through my colleague, or our colleague, colleague Liza Simone, who is uh, the founder of Phantom Galleries, and who has her own radio show on GIST called Pop-Up Research Station. And she brings together people who are involved in the uh, temporary public art movement. And uh, Liza brought a few people together, and Sherston was one of them. And unfortunately, the timing was not as fortuitous as I would have liked because I had just missed, because I didn't know about it, an incredible show that Sherston did with Woe called Tunnel Vision, which took place in a tunnel, uh, something I absolutely would have attended, and I'm bummed that I missed it. In any case, she will tell us all about that, but I do skip ahead a little bit because I'm going to have Sherston share with you a bit of her background and how she came about uh, starting Woe and, uh, and and that kind of thing. So let me welcome Sherston to the program. Hello. Hi. How are you? Good. Thanks, Thanks for, for coming on. Me. Good. Thanks I'm happy for having gonna me. Get... Oh, you're welcome. I'm happy we're going to get to have our listeners hear all about Woe and you because I'm pretty excited about you. Meeting <laughs> <laughs> you was, was, yes, was great. Um and so I'm just going to dive right in, and you know, my my show is about artists, primarily people who start as artists and then find ways to you know broaden what they do beyond just beyond making art and actually presenting art. So just tell me a little bit about your background in terms of your art and creativity, and then how that led into uh, Woe, and especially you found a really clever way to take all of your interests, which include art and video and music, and and you really found a good way to actualize all of those through not only your nonprofit, but actually um, paying work as well. So I want to hear all about that. <laughs> so, Sharston, tell us about yourself a bit. Um, so I definitely consider myself, I guess, first an artist, and then um, I, like you said, I am pulled to so many different interests that I've been kind of, you know, working out through these projects what I hope to get from them. And um, I guess I studied art um, at NYU, and I have always been interested in urban design and planning, and 
Um, then I started working for a real estate company and um, kind of noticed that they had all of these vacancies. And I was reading about all these um, innovative projects happening in Europe at the time, um, having also lived in Berlin for three years. And I was kind of confused as to why the U.S. kind of seemed to not be doing the same thing with empty spaces and kind of approaching them as like, um, you know, this really exciting opportunity to experiment with um, art in public space and kind of uh, trying to intersect the two. So um, I was working at a real estate company and I had access to um, one of their properties in Houston where I started West Oaks Art House, which was the first woe, actually. <laughs> and um, I worked with local artists to kind of create um, temporary art projects within this mall. And so that was kind of the beginning of woe. And then I eventually grew that into a bigger idea, which was we open art houses. And I became a fiscal-sponsored project of Fractured Atlas, um, Actually, our one-year anniversary is on Halloween. <laughs> so okay. um, that was, yeah. So, actually, let me, let me kind of backtrack a, a bit into what you said about even just the fact of you started working for a real estate company. That sounds kind of random. Was that something that was generated by just a need for income, or had you, would you, were you going into it knowing and thinking you might, you know, put your, put your interest into public uh, spaces, you know, into that job? I just find that little nugget a little fascinating. Oh, yeah, definitely. So I was living in Berlin, and I came back here, and I was having a really hard time getting a job. And um, I luckily, my parents work in commercial real estate, so I was very lucky to have an admin job um, available to me. And it was kind of random, but also somehow very, um, like, well-matched because it was a field that I would never really think to pursue. Um, and so I kind of, that's how I started in that field. So it was really just an opportune moment. Basically, you needed a job, and you took a job and then immediately started thinking how to make that job work to your advantage in terms of your creative interests. I think that's really exactly. lucky and really fantastic that you did that because <laughs> that's what artists do, right? But um, <laughs> so, right, so you, so you were working at this uh, at this real estate office, and then, like, at what point did – you say, you know what, I'm going to approach the owners and say, hey, you know, can I use these empty spaces for, for art? And it sounds like they really embraced it because what you did in uh, Texas was pretty big. And, and you actually still do program there, I understand. But, um, yeah. yeah, so, so you know, just where was that, where was that moment where you said, I'm going to, I'm going to do this? And then, and then it's so great that they embraced it. So talk a little bit about that. Um, I mean, I definitely did a lot of research because I also know that in order to sell an idea, you have to have data and um, you need to have kind of a good argument that's beyond concept and a selling point for that idea. And so it was really a matter of research and kind of allocating these other models um, that existed that were, you know, art incubator projects and um, vacant spaces, whether that be in a retail center or otherwise, and kind of um, 
this. Is, that is great advice ahead. right there. That is great. I just want to pause. That is great advice for our <laughs> listeners out there who might be artists wanting to propose projects to people to do your due diligence and, you know, kind of have that, uh, you know, proposal ready to go. You're very, very smart little just point taken. You know, just radio is all about <laughs> helping artists, you know, get information and resources and tips to do things. So I just wanted to point out that tip right there from you. Thanks. So, yes, yeah, that is definitely a good uh, tip because I definitely have struggled with that myself. You can have a wonderful idea, but in the end, you really need to be able to have a selling point for it. And having data to back up your argument is really important. So, so your selling, tell, tell us your selling point, which really articulates something that um, – you know, it basically articulates why these public art projects in empty spaces are so valuable. So tell us what your what, what was your pitch? Because in a way that's articulating that. I mean, essentially, artists have the ability to move into an area and bring life to it. And um, they really can transform the economy on, you know, in a huge way. Um, I think that they can offer a unique way to animate vacant space and generate foot traffic and create kind of an attractive, you know, um, begin an attractive site transforming into something else. And so um, that was kind of my selling point. And, and the, the um, space in Texas was quite large. I mean, describe the space a bit, and I'd also then just love to hear about some of the artistic projects that you did do. Um, over was it, a, was it a couple of years now that uh, you've been programming there? Yeah, so my first project in Houston was in June 2012. And um, like, well, like we open art houses, it is a floating space at West Oaks Mall in Houston, um, and the first empty space that I had to work with was a 100,000-square-foot uh, J.C. Penney um, department store that had been vacant for, I can't remember now how many years, I think eight years. Um, wow. And, I just thought that's yeah. amazing. Oh, I have this idea to use an empty space for art, and they say, how about 100,000 square feet? <laughs> yeah, so what this was nice. actually yeah. – <laughs> Yeah, that was my challenge, too, is that it was so large. So essentially, um, I used the entire lower tier, which was 50,000 square feet, and I kind of, you know, just put it out there to the Houston art community. Um, And also, I worked completely from L.A., so it was a little bit difficult, but also um, it's very possible to do things from afar. So um, we have the Internet, which creates, you know, you can be everywhere at one time. So essentially I put out um, to the Houston art community that this was available and available to them um, for use of their creative project and rent-free. Well, let me, um, let me, I'm sorry, let me let me interrupt you and just ask a mm-hmm. quick question because I find this interesting. How did you connect to the Houston art community if you were in L.A.? I mean, you said you put out the word. Well, how did you do that in terms of locating, you know, where were the, the communication lines to the artists? Definitely research again. So, um <laughs> I kind of just researched, like, all of the, what was happening in the contemporary art world and um, kind of who the, you know, players were in making all of these projects happen. Um, And I looked up every single email address I could possibly find 
um, with these organizations and individual artists in mind. And eventually when, you know, um, people started to read about the project because either a blogger was writing about it, I would receive, you know, lots of responses and interest. So um, I guess once you get the ball rolling on something like that, it's really kind of easy to poke your head in and have people interested and, you know, want to collaborate with you. So um, that was how that started. And I ended up working with um, Suchu Dance, who is a really amazing uh, Houston-based dance troupe, and they do experimental projects. And they ended up creating this really beautiful, immersive performance that ran for two weeks in the J.C. Penney space, um, and it was utilizing the entire lower tier. Um, and I think they had 13 dancers, um, and it was an immersive piece that was about 45 minutes or an hour long. So uh, that was my first project there. Yeah. Is that was that? I'm just curious. Was that a free uh, performance, or did, he, did was it tickets, or how did that work? Suchu sold tickets um, in order to fund the project for themselves. Um, they're also a nonprofit. So, um, but again, the way Woe works is we don't collect any of that money. Um, that goes directly to the artists who are making the project. That's great. So that's great. Yeah. And then after that amazing dance piece, which I, I just sounds like it would be fantastic, you um, or did you get other smaller spaces in that in that building to use? Yes, yes, I did, and um, they, you know. Like any retail center, they still have vacancies that come up, and it's my job to kind of find out what those are and try to, you know, generate more interest from other people willing to do pop-up shops or uh, needing to house art programs or outreach. Um, so right now I have uh, another organization utilizing another space there for the next year, or through the year and hopefully longer, um, and they do community outreach and um, arts education programs. So, uh, and that's a smaller space, it's about 7,000 square feet. Well, that's not that small. <laughs> yeah, it's so <laughs> that's big. a great space. Well, that's, I think it's so neat that it's basically, it's still continuing and that property, you know, the managers, property managers still um, have you, you know, broker those spaces. That's really, that's really cool. Now, here's a question. Do you see anything else? Do you see, rather, do you see similar activities uh, in Los Angeles? Um, I, I don't know if I know anyone that's doing exactly what I'm doing, but I definitely, I mean, Phantom Galleries is one example of somebody who's creating temporary projects and storefronts um, and creating temporary galleries, so that's pretty much what I'm doing. Um, I guess I identify more with programs I know of in New York um, that are similar in what I aspire to be, um, but I don't know exactly of anybody that's doing something like me completely, but I hope to. I would love to work with them. <laughs> yeah, I hope you do too. I'm excited to see uh, what what comes of, of that idea for you here in L.A. Oh, let's talk about your most recent project in L.A. then. I think it was, am I right in saying it was your first L.A.-based project, this Tunnel Vision? Um, it's not actually, um, but it was definitely one my first project that involved live sound. 
So okay, um, not my first LA. Okay, project. so it yeah. happened. It happened on October twelfth here in LA in uh, literally a tunnel that's in um, you in Silver Lake, correct? Or Cypress. It's Village, actually in Cypress Park. Yeah, Cypress, Cypress Park, Park um, in Los Angeles. So please yeah. tell us about this site because, you know, it grabs anyone attention to say there's art shows in the tunnel. So tell us about the site and how you connected with them and then tell us a little bit about the show. So um, I was really proud of this show. I worked with my partner um, who works, she's the founder of VCR, which stands for Vintage Contemporary Reconstructed. And um, she approached me over the summer about the ability to do a show in this tunnel gallery and the tunnel, um, which is called the Cypress Village Tunnel Art Walk, um, is open the second Saturday of every month. And it's owned by Yancy Quinones, who owns Antigua Coffee House. And he essentially approached the city for, and you know, tried for a number of years, and finally it happened as of last May, um, to work with them in repurposing this previously, um, it's been closed to the public, I think, for 10 years now, but it was a pedestrian uh, walkway that traversed the Figueroa Corridor, and um, he essentially secured uh, funding from the city to make this a gallery. And so um, we created Tunnel Vision, which um, integrated audio performances and artist installations um, for a one-night uh, event in a couple weeks ago, so um, that is so that is that. it's such a great spot, such a great site. I actually, um, I've asked you to connect me with Yancy because I would love to have him on this show as well to talk about, you know, yeah, finding the tunnel, and working with the city, and getting it. Uh, that's another person I'd love to have on. So um, that's really exciting. So so you did site-specific audio and projection and light-based work in the tunnel. Why don't you just tell me, because it's always fun to hear about the creative stuff, to give, give me an example or two of some of the pieces that happened. Oh, and, and I'm sorry, a little aside, how long is the tunnel? Like how much space did you have to work with? So the tunnel itself is 100 feet long, and it's about 6 feet wide and 8 feet high. So it's quite okay. narrow. Um, and we put an artist call out for um, work that would kind of induce either transitory states of perception or I guess this is kind of our theme, um, given the name Tunnel Vision as well. And um, we worked with Mapjack's uh, projection mapping crew, which is an artist collective um, of video projection mappers, and they mapped the outdoor block because we were able to close off the adjacent block above ground um, for use of our event. And they mapped the buildings and um, they were great to work with. And then we also had a roster of um, audio artists uh, doing live shows within the tunnel throughout the evening. Um, so, and then we also had um, projects set up along the uh, block as well. Um, we had Diana Foyer made this really beautiful rocket ship installation, which um, people went into, and she was playing live music within it. And um, so that was pretty 
those are some examples of what kind of work was there. That sounds great. And the response was, you were happy with the, the response of, of the public, correct? Yes, definitely. Um, as always, like, it's funny that I keep on doing uh, one-night events because I always wish that I had more time. <laughs> I hear you. I've been dedicated to one-night <laughs> events for eight years, and they can't, especially when you, you know, work with so many artists. My, my uh, show tell shows had up to 20 artists in them. And, yeah, it, it's it's a crazy ride. But I also think one-night events are so energetically fun because you know you've got this momentum it's only one night all this energy pools and people come and then you know if you missed it yeah miss it <laughs> it's kind of you know, you know it's, it's, it's fun but yeah I, I, you do cut down on your audience there's pros and cons to to those kind of things for sure um so what do you foresee uh you doing in the future i know you have a um at least one project in the works if you would like to Tell us a little bit about what that might be, even just generally. So um, I'm working with Nareda again of UCR and um, a friend of ours, Courtney, who is um, working on the launch of her brand, Fruit Fly Life. And together we are kind of pooling our ideas to create um, an audio-visual event um, that will probably be set within an orchard or a winery in Los Angeles, and um, we are in the very early stages of planning, but that will happen in early spring of this year. That's so exciting. Um, what a, another very interesting site. It's it's interesting that you your first project was you know in in a empty commercial space, which is something that you know we're a little bit used to in terms of like pop up art happening in and events happening in, and then you go for a tunnel and an orchard. So I think that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like the, the most obscure space, the better. No, no, not obscure, but the more the more interesting space, the better. I think that's great. <laughs> Yeah. So, and are you working? Um, are you working at all? Are you working at all trying to um, present present Woe and the concept to other commercial properties in LA? Is that something you want to do, or do you want to do more one-off events at you know interesting sites? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I need to concentrate um, more on that as well um, because there are so many vacant buildings here. I mean, in downtown alone, and um, I think that. The ability to, I mean, it doesn't cost them anything, essentially, is also one of my selling points to have artists come in and make use of the space. So, um, it, you know, it can be done fairly easily, and it's a cost-effective way of changing and advertising their center. Um, sure, although I would like to ask you, because this is interesting too, a kind of a flip side of that. I mean, you know, we, from the arts perspective, we totally get that concept and it makes complete sense. But I wonder if you've had resistance or skepticism kind of on that other side and what is the root of some of that? And if so, then like how do you kind of navigate that? Oh, totally. I mean, um, not everyone is an artist or a creative, you know, so... Um, I guess depending on what the problem is, you just need to kind of try to understand it from the other side and have, you know, kind of evidence to support what you're arguing and assure them that everything will be fine. Um, well, what kind of I worries guess, do they have? I'm just curious. What kind of worries do, do like, property owners have? 
I mean, it usually seems to be financial, I would say, um, most of the time. And also just not completely, if you make everything too conceptually rooted, they lose you, you know what I mean? So um, you need to make it interesting for them and cater it to what they're interested in doing, which is making money. And so I tend to find that kind of um, trying to understand who your target audience is is really important and understanding how you're going to reach them and um, having, you know, ways that you will make that happen is also very, like, essential to having any kind of project lead to good results or create a right. impact, I guess. So, right, and I mean, when you say that they're concerned about making money, does that mean that they're concerned that if they let artists use the space that they'll lose money? Or, or, or because, you know, you're... Oh, no, your not at all. Oh, okay, okay. I so mean, mean um, I, I guess they are most, you know, they want paying tenants, essentially. So they don't want to miss out on the opportunity to have uh, someone come in and utilize the space or be willing to pay rent, and then there's an artist using it. You know what I mean? So right, that's, what I, that's to, what I meant. Yeah, oh, okay. So I guess just making sure that you are able to be mobile is really important. Um, if you are a creative project, I mean, you can easily do this in another space. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, that's kind of, uh, I guess it's a per-project basis is making sure everything makes sense to them. Right, so. and it depends on the on the property owner because, for instance, in, in, in your building in Texas or your spaces in Texas, it sounds like they ha- are giving long longer-term agreements for some of these things to happen. Um, exactly. Rather so I guess there's saying, no, you know. Yeah. I mean, there's not really, there hasn't been a formula for me. It's really been like on a per project basis, I guess. So, um, for the most right. part, I found sense. that everyone is pretty supportive of the arts as long as you're able to talk about what you're doing and understand it from various views other than from an artist or creative side, I guess. Right. So. Well, kind of like a business mind combined with a creative mind. Yeah. <laughs> I struggle Which with actually, that. <laughs> yeah, well, don't all artists. I mean, not, maybe not, but I would say a lot of artists. Let's not uh, generalize, but a lot of artists, you know, do do um, have a harder time striking that balance. But if you can strike that balance, it sounds like there's so many opportunities out there to, you know, provide space for creative people to make their work, which, you know, has a, a benefit to the public and the property owner. I, you know, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir when you're talking to me, but I hope that our listeners, uh, I hope there's some property owner listeners here saying, hey, yeah, I could do that. Because you're right, there are so many empty spaces in, well, any urban area really, but definitely in L.A., definitely in downtown uh, in different pockets of, of L.A., and um, I hope that Woe gets to fill lots of them with lots of wonderful art and performances, and I look forward to you bringing your next project at the Orchard to fruition, and I will be following following it along and attending for sure. And I want to thank you for a really lively and informative conversation, Sheriston. You have a lot of uh, energy and, and tips, and I think that this was a wonderful episode that people can get inspired by to go out and do something for themselves, I hope. Thanks, Kara. Well, I was really, thank you for having me. Oh, you're <laughs> welcome. Thanks for being on. Lovely to meet you. And we-
Yeah, and we will keep in touch. And for those of uh, you listening or maybe on your computer, of course, you can check out uh, Woe's website, uh, also Facebook, of course, and all those Twitter things. Uh, you know, Sherston's all hooked up with the uh, techno <laughs> communications. So please go and uh, peruse more of her information, and uh, you will see it. And get on uh, – you have an email list, I assume? Yes, I do. And that's all through that's our it. website as well. And our website is woeis.us. So woe is us. Woe is. I love it. Woe is dot U.S. Great. Thank you, Sherston, and we'll be in touch. Thank you. Bye-bye. So this is uh, Just Inc. Radio, and Just Inc. is an artist-run company providing information, technology, and solutions created by and for artists. Just mission is to support artists with an integrated mix of software, services, and information to keep artists working. Please visit our website, gistinc, G-Y-S-T-Inc.com, for resources and support systems for what you would like to do. Thank you for listening today, and please tune in again to Gist Radio. Hi, I'm a helpful Southern California Honda person, and recently we've been doing random acts of helpfulness, like sending a kid to basketball camp and helping a family with gas for their son's frequent hospital visits. And during the Honda Summerbration Sales Event, we can help you with a great deal, because right now we're clearing out the 2017s, like the Accord, a 2017 car and driver 10 best a record 31 times. Click the dealer locator link to find a dealer near you and go to SoCalHondaDealers.com to suggest a random act of helpfulness for someone you know. Car and driver January 2017. Is your basement or garage full of old house paint that you know you'll never use? I know mine is. Avocado green, hot pink, antique white. That is a nice shade of white, though. You know, it's easy to recycle your leftover paint, stain, and varnish all over California. Most paint care drop-off locations are paint and hardware stores that take back leftover paint. Keep what you need and recycle the rest. Find a drop-off site near you at paintcare.org. 